Before we get started with the show today, I want to spend a minute saying thank you to a listener of the show. Uh, Ginny Herzog has donated $20 to us. Uh, you may remember Ginny from episode 29 uh, when she was actually a guest on the Messy Studio podcast and talked about her work. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it. It's a really good interview. If you would like your own shout out on the Messy Studio podcast, please go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. You can set up a single time or a recurring monthly donation for literally any amount. And your donations go to help pay for hosting costs and to help pay for equipment and everything that goes into producing this podcast. So once again, that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. On today's show, we have a Messy Studio Podcast exclusive interview with Henry Martin. So without further ado, here's Rebecca Kroll. Hello and welcome to the Messy Studio Ireland edition. My guest today is the award-winning Irish art scholar and author, poet, and playwright Henry Martin. Henry's writing has appeared in numerous books, magazines, and literary journals. He's perhaps uh, best known as a playwright for numerous productions in the UK and Ireland. Um, today we're going to focus on the creative process from his perspective as a writer. And I decided, because I think there's a lot to talk about, that we're going to divide this um, interview into two parts. And the next time we're going to talk about the book that led us to meet here in Dublin today, which is his biography of Agnes Martin. Agnes Martin, pioneer, painter, and icon, published in 2018. So welcome, Henry. Thank you very much. So it was kind of an interesting story how we connected, because um, if you listen to the podcast, you know that we did, uh, Ross and I did a couple of episodes about books that artists recommend. And Ross had urged me to talk about books that I like as well as other people's recommendations. And I was currently reading this um, biography of Agnes Martin. And I'm not even sure we connected on Instagram, you and I, Henry, but I don't, how did that happen? I'm not quite sure how you knew I talked about your book. I'm not sure either. I think um, every so often I get like an alert, I think, on Instagram oh, right. or maybe in my email, things to do with Agnes Martin. And I think that's where your podcast must have appeared. Ah. Um, and so that's where I discovered you. And obviously, I listened to the podcast and was very excited um, and actually thought it was a brilliant um, topic because I've also worked in art book publishing for a number of years. Yeah. So I love art books. Um, so I'm always uh, interested in finding out what other people are reading. And it's um, always a surprise when it happens to be something I wrote, I guess. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that you um, have a, you seem to have a particular interest in um, women artists. Would you say that's true? Um, it's true in recent years. It, there was no kind of particular moment or, I suppose, agenda where I thought, oh, I'm going to write about women artists. Um, it's kind of happened accidentally, but it's a really nice accident. Um, and I think with women artists, certainly at the moment, a lot of publishers and museums and the academy are realizing um, that 
there hasn't been enough research into the lives of women artists. Um, obviously, they haven't received um, the same attention um, in those institutions as their male peers have. Um, so really, there's a lot there, I guess, for writers and scholars to explore. Um, whereas with a lot of male artists, um, that territory has been somewhat covered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just a really exciting time to be able to um, give those artists their dues. Yeah, I know another one that we covered in the podcast was that Ninth Street Women book, which is abstract expressionist women. So it did seem to be, um, it's it's a good theme right now. Um so I'm just curious a little bit about um, your background and how you got started as a writer and um, how you got to where you are today. Okay. The short version, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the short version. Um, so I guess I started writing poetry initially when I was a teenager um, and... It was really only in college when I started writing plays, um, particularly after a year studying in Boston College in the States, where I studied a lot of theatre. And I then spent most of my 20s living in London, writing plays, um, and... In 2010, I started working in art book publishing, um, and I worked in a variety of roles, um, including editorial. And I had always loved fine art. I'd always, some of my favorite kind of pastimes are going to museums. Um, and so I'd, even if I, as a playwright, when I wasn't maybe, obviously I wasn't writing about art at that point, but I was always... Um, kind of educating myself Um, Mm. and it was always uh, uh, a fascination and interest of mine Um, and actually some of my most rewarding kind of art experiences were you know in a museum setting rather than in a theatre setting and that Mm. actually continues to be the case Um, so yeah once I moved into art book publishing and publishing generally um Again, it wasn't a conscious thing. A lot of my plays ended up having a kind of biographical slant. So I started, you know, watching a lot of biographies, reading a lot of biographies, um, and kind of discovering characters that I thought were really interesting, who had interesting lives, and I was interested in, I guess, dramatizing that. And so Agnes Martin actually would have been one of those people, um, and that's where my interest in her kind of started. Mm. Um, and so subsequent to that, um, I've actually gone back and I've done a master's in art history to somewhat... I guess, legitimize um, <laughs> my stance or my credentials, yeah. as it were. Did you ever um, create art yourself? I did when I was younger, yeah. Um, I have absolutely no talent uh, for um, sketching or creating realistic, you know, um, uh, versions of, you know, still life 
But, you know, when I would have studied art in school, if, you know, I studied art history um, throughout high school and I studied it actually also in America um, that year I studied abroad. Um, and when I studied art in school, you really, you know, you're only good if you were good as a drafts person. So if you could represent mm. something accurately, which, which I what couldn't years do. was that? So that would have been in the mid nineties to late nineties. Uh-huh. So for instance, um, you, 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 photography wasn't really encouraged. The idea hmm. of sculpture kind of was like clay modeling. Yes. And, and like drawing and painting. Yes. But photography, anything mixed media performance, um, in high school level, they weren't necessarily seen as things to explore. Whereas now I know that actually, um, you know, I, I love taking photographs and I, you know, I've worked in short films and I, I feel like I've got like an eye. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, to answer your question, I'm not uh, an artist in that sense. Though I think if I was going through the system again today, uh, things could be a little bit different. Uh huh. Yeah, and and you could at some point you could do what you want. Yeah, visually, like, absolutely. Like I love art books. I collect art books. Um, you know, books by artists. I've made. I've collaborated with artists on books. Yeah, and I love that as a medium, as an art medium. Um, I create photo books for myself. Um, obviously, that's an art medium that I love. But I wasn't aware of those ideas. Yeah, it's up. it's a much bigger picture than yeah being able to sketch or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that is, I mean, that's what people say. Well, you know, that's kind of the first step. If you say, uh, "Have you created art?" That is often people say, "Well, I can't draw or something," but. Um, yeah, there there are other yeah. avenues, <laughs> and you know, I this is something I've thought about quite a bit, and I've got quite a mixed background, and you know, in many ways, I think of myself as an artist before I think of myself as a writer. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and I mean, most of the uh, listeners to this podcast uh, are visual artists, and I one of the things I was interested in talking to you about was the par- the parallels in the creative process of what you go through when you um write something and and how i have the feeling there is a lot of similarities i mean i i write some things myself so i i know that when i start writing something i often don't really know where it's going right i mean you just you have something a little spark of an idea and you start to follow it and that's definitely how I paint, <laughs> and a lot of people paint. So I wonder if you could talk about that process a little bit, how you how you get started, or or also how you decide what what form the idea is going to take. And it's something like art media. Um, if you have an idea, is it is it more suited for a poem or a play or an essay or whatever? I think that's a really Good question. And I think that I have definitely worked on projects where I was trying to make something a play that was actually something else entirely. And 
I think that a lot of writers do that. Um, they think because they have worked in one genre that they have to continue working in that genre or that form. Whereas actually maybe their idea or the thing they want to communicate is better suited to a poem or uh, to a visual medium. Um, so... For me, you know, ideas come from all kinds of places. And I think definitely for how I've worked in the past and certainly the kinds of plays that I wrote, um, I always had some kind of question at the back of my head that I was trying to answer or find an answer to. So a lot of the, the writing process was a way for me to figure out a question I had about something. And usually with plays, it was a question to do with human beings and how they interact. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how, especially with theatre, you know, you're, you're, you're creating worlds that, you know, are portraying characters in space and in time. And so there's a lot of fun to be had there um, in terms of how you're creating that. And I imagine there's something similar with artists who mm-hmm. are working... Um, also, some artists create characters and put them in space and time, and yes. some create objects and put them in space and, and time. And maybe sometimes the the roles are played by color or shape, <laughs> as well as by something more yeah. Um, concrete. Yeah, and I think from where I was as a playwright, I I wasn't the kind of writer who had big ideas in terms of. I wasn't, um, my characters weren't like a mouth piece for, for like an issue. Um, so my plays weren't political and they weren't, they were themed maybe. Um, but for me, I guess I want the characters to resonate emotionally mm-hmm. with the audience. Um, and so again, that's something I've learned, you know, and experienced as a person going to museums or galleries is as an audience member there um the artwork i i'm drawn to is artwork that speaks to me emotionally mm-hmm. so i think again those are really clear similarities um for, for me in terms of what i'm drawn to and also i guess how i want to kind of connect with an audience member mm-hmm. yeah um so I mean, one of the things I was wondering about was what kind of um, motivates you to write, but it sounds like it's human interaction, um, questions about why we do what we do. Yeah, I think um, there are numerous things that motivate me. I think for theatre, it's always been um, the just the magic of theatre in the sense that it's so rare that people come together in a space nowadays and you have, in theory, their undivided attention for any length of time and you can kind of do anything with theatre. Anything can happen in that room. Um, And um, in terms of where stories come from, again, I think they come from lots of different places. Um, For the most part... A lot of the early plays I wrote, the characters and situations were entirely generated from kind of within, from myself. Mm -hmm. And then as I wrote more, I was actually taking stories from newspapers and the world around me and dramatizing 
um, I suppose, real world events. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you find that that process of being prompted by things um, around you is a more direct path? I guess um, being self-reflective is absolutely part of it all, but it can also become hard to keep the energy behind that sometimes, I find, as a visual artist, uh, to sometimes reference. Lately, I've been working from poetry. So some sometimes something coming from the outside has a different uh, energy. Totally. And I think there's a lot to be said for putting limitations on what you're doing and then kind of going deep with something. Ah, yes. So (laughs) I, and actually for me personally, and I don't know about kind of you, but I like with every new project to feel like I'm learning something new, Uh to feel like it's a new challenge. Um, I'm developing somewhat as a person um, I'm learning something new about, you know, uh, a character um, or, you know, a place or, or, or like, I guess in the case of an artist, a material. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's a way to kind of keep things fresh and interesting mm. um, uh, and we'll never get lazy, I think, if we're doing that. Yeah. Do you do you find that in the literary world that people, uh, writers, get sort of branded like, oh, he writes about this um, as a limitation? I mean, because it certainly happens in the visual arts world, and it can become a problem. People start doing the same thing over and over. It sounds like you found a way around that, but do you do you find that to be generally an issue? I think it is an issue. Um, I've definitely met with um, editors and agents who see it as a problem that I can't commit to one form of writing, um, who would rather I stick to um, you know, just theatre or film or something else, um, because they find it difficult to yes. market you to other people, the producers, the other editors, whoever. Um, I kind of see, and this is a bit lofty and it doesn't do me any favors in terms of getting work, but I kind of see it as, uh, you know, it's my job to just follow my nose with something Mm -hmm. and follow my instinct Mm -hmm. and, you know, see what happens when I kind of open a new door into something. Uh Um, and you know, that doesn't always, you know, reward you in, in some ways and you take a lot of missteps as a result um but ideally you also you know walk into something that's amazing and completely unexpected well, and, and, and like you say continuing to learn and i think undoubtedly you're building on things even if even if they change uh thematically you there, there are certain core things that you're interested in. It sounds like um, art, yeah, <laughs> uh, art artists, yeah, and absolutely. human human interaction, absolutely. So that these come out in different ways 
could definitely be seen as a strength. <laughs> I know in the marketing world, maybe not. Yeah. And I think as well, in terms of who we are as human beings, nobody is ever just one thing. Yeah. So why would anybody assume that's what you would be as an artist or as a writer? Right. It doesn't really make any sense to me. And I think if you think about your practice and your commitment to your craft as being a lifelong thing, then you're not going to want to produce the same thing over no. and over again, surely. You know, you're going to want to be surprised and pulled in different directions. But I think, you know, when you said that there is something about going placing limitations and going deep, but that can be a progression, right? I mean, you can say, um, for this period of time, I'm going very deeply into this thing that I'm interested in. So, I mean, sometimes it seems like people skip superficially over a lot of things um, and their work, whether it's writing or visual art, it, it just lacks depth. It's, it stays on the surface. But if you, if you progress from one thing to another in, with some degree of depth, that's a satisfying um, life, I would say. Yeah, I think I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you decided to write this book about Agnes Martin, which we are going to talk about more in the next episode, her actual life, but I'm, I'm interested in the process of, uh, obviously it was an enormous project. And what I, I remember reading in the book that you, of course, like many things that we start that turn out to be enormous projects, you didn't know that in the beginning. <laughs> you thought maybe it was going to be an article or something. And and then you started to realize what you had taken on. So, yeah, talk, talk a little bit about that process and how that unfolded for you. Yeah, that was, when I think back now, and when I hold the book in my hands, and it's, it's so surreal um, that it kind of exists, and because it's really a book that I should never have written, um, that, uh, like you said, I thought would be something very small that would take up a really short period of my life, <laughs> and the complete opposite happened in the end. Um it started when I was working in publishing. I um, was introduced to this artist through the publisher I was working for. And I thought she was really interesting. Um, I was actually working in marketing at the time and we were coming up with ideas on how to market a book on her, um, a, a monograph. And so I had to do like a little research into her. And I really liked her writings, and I feel like a lot of people come to her actually through her writings, yes. and not her art. Um, and but you know, I wasn't. It was a slow kind of unfolding thing. It wasn't like I saw a painting or I read something and I was smitten and I had to write about this. And person. you didn't have it all uh, planned out. Like <laughs> absolutely not. There was nothing planned. I was working a full time job. I was writing plays. I encountered this person and enjoyed them. And then they kind of took a backseat, and I started 
finishing other projects that I was doing, but then they kept popping back into my head, saying hello. And I <laughs> you thought, need oh, to yeah, write this book. <laughs> there's that person. Oh yeah, they were interesting, and I just started researching with absolutely no agenda. I just started researching, um, learning about them, and I thought that their character was interesting and that I could use that character and maybe create a fictional character oh. for like a, a, a theatre piece. And I actually wrote a very short play as a test, um, uh, roughly based on her character. Um, and so that was my way into it was actually through the, the form that I was used to, which was theatre. Uh, but then I just discovered too many beautiful details, even in the early stages of my research, and realized that even though I wasn't a prose writer, that this story needed to be told through prose. And so you, you went to New Mexico and, and also New York, I guess. You, you researched and talked to people that were um, part of her life. And there were so many people that you interviewed in this book. Uh, so I can't even imagine, um, you know, lining up all those people and, and, and having them open up to you and tell you things. And um, it just, I mean, the sheer number of interviews was amazing to me and the depth of them. They weren't, they, they seemed like you really got to know some of the people that were important to her. Yeah, and that was one of the, you know, one of the biggest rewards of this project was just getting to meet people and getting to travel uh, and see some of the states and spend time, you know, in archives. And the the generosity of people to me and to the project was immense. And that really surprised me in some ways um, because that hadn't been my experience of working in theatre necessarily mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure if it was a cultural thing like Americans are just nicer than <laughs> other places. We just like to talk. We just like to talk <laughs> but there was a real for quite a few of the people I interviewed because there have been obviously books on Agnes Martin um, mostly monographs and most of them really only covered her life from 1957 onwards uh -huh. or 67 onwards in, in most cases. Um, and that was surprising to me given that she was middle-aged by the, the 50s and 60s. Right. And um, there was a kind of a whole lack of knowledge um, or, or published knowledge um, on her at that point. So by the time I came around knocking on people's doors people were dying to tell their stories. <laughs> well, she was such an interesting character, too, and people had stories. And um, uh, So did you, did you research it uh, sort of chronologically, or did you do it more by, I'm in, well, I suppose I'm in New York, I'm going to talk to all the people in New York, I'm going to go to Taos and talk to people there. And, and I... I think it's really wonderful that you went to Taos because obviously that is where she spent the rest end of her life. And it was very interesting for me to read that because I live near there now and things like, oh, she funded the community center. Oh, right. You know, I mean, it, it, 
it's a very, um, she is still very present in that part of the world. I mean, I know people who knew her and it just was, um, it just really brought so much uh, to life. But I'm getting sidetracked a little bit because I love to talk about her and we will do that. But getting back to that, that process, so you must have amassed just so many notes and, uh, you had to, at that point, you had to stick with it. I mean, you had so much. It was crazy. Right. It was crazy. Um, you know, to answer your question, nothing was chronological. It was just like a spider web. It was just <laughs> a huge mess where I just, you know, I mean, I, I, although I, you know, I had some kind of background, let's say, as a researcher just through college and also in publishing, but you know, I I I I know formal training as a researcher is such. So I kind of just tried to read everything I could. You know, books, articles, interviews, um, and then I was very fortunate to get in touch with Gina Brenneman, who um, had been a curator at the Harwood Museum, oh, right. who had worked on uh, Agnes Martin before the Grid exhibition. Um, and she, at the same time with the director, Kathleen Brennan, was interviewing a number of Agnes's friends um, to find out more about Agnes's life uh, before her move to New York in 57. And also to find out about her artwork, um, you know, her early artwork until very recently um, wasn't exhibited widely yeah. and not much research has been done on it um so it was really gina and kathleen who opened the doors for me so you had these important resource people and absolutely but somehow when you said it was a spider web and i just think um again getting back to the creative process we find ourselves so often in the middle of things and not being able to see our way out or through and it is it absolutely takes so much persistence and patience uh to say at some point this was this will make sense <laughs> yeah i think in some ways i was lucky because the people i met were so supportive and so generous and answered so many emails and telephone calls that their enthusiasm really helped me along the way. Um, oh, that does help. Yeah. I, I never really felt like I was alone, even yeah. though I was writing a book without a publisher um, <laughs> and without an agent. I kind of didn't care. So, I mean, so even when I was writing the thing, there was no guarantee it was ever going to be published. Yeah. Um, so I was really just doing it for the hell of doing it. Wow. Um and, you know, I quit two full-time jobs at different points. Um, it was completely self-funded. I, I was never going to make money back on what I was investing in it. It was just something I had to do. Um, having said that, there was no real expectation. You know, I wasn't an art historian. Um, there was, it, it didn't, matter if the book never got published i hoped it would yeah but there is there was nobody kind of judging me or expecting anything of me it was just kind of what i was it, bringing to it it sounds like there was a real purity to the whole process in terms of 
you weren't trying to please anyone. You weren't, you were doing it because you had all this, you had the motivation, you had the urge, you wanted to do it. And I think we'll, we'll take up more of this, um, in the next episode. But thank you, Henry, very much. And, um, we're going to talk more about, um, Agnes Martin's life and your research into it, um, in the following episode. So thank you, Henry. Thank you. Well, that just about wraps up another episode of the Messy Studio Podcast. For more from the Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find the Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and www.squeegeepress.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.